You are now listening to the Peach Pundit Podcast, where we are expressing our own personal opinions. These views may not reflect the opinions of those whom we may be professionally affiliated. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Peach Pundit Podcast. I'm Jason Pye, joined by Scott Turner. Scott, how you doing, buddy? It has been a crazy week, Jason. It, but I enjoy it, it. It has been. You, you guys might notice that we are one short this week. Uh, Buzz is on vacation. Technically speaking, I am on vacation as well. Uh, I am actually uh, in in the in the motherland. I am in Georgia. Uh, I drove down from Virginia yesterday uh, and stopped by Bucky's. The new they they just opened a Bucky's in Florence, South Carolina. Uh, it's been open for about a week. I stopped by there yesterday. Spent way too much money. <laughs> That's the point of Bucky's. <laughs> That's the point of Bucky's. I bought I bought this big like jug that I can get like soda in and stuff. Uh, yeah, I I I might have. Did I bought, you get like, any jerky? I did actually. Yeah, uh, I haven't eaten any of it yet, but I did buy some. I ate the. Uh, I also got some chocolate covered pretzels, which were really good, and uh, a few other things. And then today I went to Publix. Uh, to buy all the beer I could not buy in Virginia. So I got like all the local brews that are not, I got Creature Comforts Tropicalia. Uh, I actually got 24 cans of that. <laughs> I got, <laughs> I, I got three taverns. I, I got a couple different three taverns. I got, um, oh, Reformation uh, Jude. Scoff Law. I got Reformation Jude. Uh, yeah, I got stuff. I have a I have a f- marathon band practice next Saturday, so it's like a five hour band practice. So, and we like to drink when we play. So, uh, my bandmates will be enjoying some of those beers. So, you are uh, a good friend for bringing I, I, in that high quality stuff right there. See, I think so too. But uh, anyway, enough about me. Uh, it is we are in post primary world here in the state of Georgia. Uh, Tuesday night was interesting, to say the least. Let's uh-huh. just say the polls got it wrong. Um, yeah. It was it was not a thirty point victory. It was it was a roughly fifty point victory for Governor Brian Kemp, who who handily beat David Perdue and the rest of the field, which includes Candace Taylor uh, and obviously David Perdue. Uh, and uh, Perdue per won't be the governor. <laughs> it, it, and you know it was sort of a really sad ending to a guy who started his career in politics with so much promise and so much potential goes to DC basically falls in love with the place. Doesn't really do any of the things that he said he was going to do when he was there comes back, runs a lackluster reelection campaign for his Senate seat so much so that he wouldn't even show up to debate John Ossoff a second time and yep. basically handed the Democrats a Senate seat from Georgia mm-hmm. for six years and then decides, well, the election was stolen from me. So I'm going to go run on that and try to unseat a governor who used this past legislative session to pass the most sweeping and impactful re- conservative legislative agenda that I have seen since I've been watching Georgia politics and just hammered him saying, I have a record and you don't. And ultimately stopped campaigning against David Perdue because he realized David Perdue wasn't the threat. Stacey Abrams was. And in the middle of the primary, pivoted to fighting off Stacey Abrams as opposed to David Perdue. Um, it was amazing to watch. 
and exciting to see the result. Frankly, I, I predicted 54%. I was off by a, a huge amount, but the, some of the polls, Jason, Jesus, Pete, insider yeah. advantage the day of saying it's, it's at 52 Trafalgar group, which is the Trump pollster. It's at 52. The bias was obvious. You know, this is insider advantage is a long established group. They need to do some soul searching about what they want to be known for. Cause they were way off and their bias had been showing since December. Yeah. I mean, in, in just looking at and going back and looking at the polls and pulling up real clear politics right now uh, to take a look at the polls. I mean, there were polls that started to where Kemp was starting to peak into the 60s. And the, the most notable ones were Landmark Communications uh, and uh, Fox News uh, started. They had Purdue peaking into the 60s uh, and uh, Fox uh, Fox News had Purdue at 28. Uh, Landmark Communications had Purdue at 30. Uh, so, uh, and he wound up with 21 points, 21, rounded up 21.8% of the vote. Uh, so, uh, and then Kemp had 73, 73, uh, 73.7% of the vote. So, and it, it, it wasn't like Donald Trump wasn't trying because at the end there had the week before the primary, it had, it appeared that perhaps David Perdue was throwing in the towel. And he had very few events on his calendar. The AJC comes along. They do this story saying he's not on the road. He's not doing public events. He's come off the, the airwaves and the television ad buy. It just wasn't there. And then all this, because in reaction to that story from the AJC, there was a flurry of activity afterwards. All, yeah. all, all of a sudden, he had 15 events instead of just three. And there was an ad that was run last minute, came to me by text. And in the in the ad... It showed, first of all, it showed Donald Trump and Melania doing this weird push tomahawk chop, chop at the World Series. Like they don't know that the chop is a singular elbow motion. They're pushing like this for their, it's like, okay. He, and it starts with, it shows him doing that saying Donald Trump knows Georgia. Well, if you know what how to do the chop, you know how to do it properly. Yeah, right. He wasn't, but it was it's just neither here nor there. It's just a funny observation. But in the ad, he has this narrator say, it doesn't matter if you cheered for Trump at a rally, had a sign for Trump in your yard or a Trump bumper sticker on your car. You cannot be a Trump supporter if you vote for Brian Kemp. And I'm not paraphrasing. I, a whole lot of people who support Donald Trump went to the ballot box on Tuesday and they voted for Brian Kemp, a lot of them. Yeah. So that last minute ditch attempt just didn't work. Right. I mean, a lot of votes had already been cast, but right. even on election day, a lot of my friends who are Republicans got that text message and with that video and it just, it just fell on deaf ears. Like the whole thing, let's, you know, Brian Kemp let me down, just fell on deaf ears for the Georgia Republican voter. It did. And, and, you got to wonder because Trump had seen mixed success coming into Georgia. Um, and you got to wonder, I mean, he really overplayed his hand here in the state and we'll get to some of these other races in a minute, but he really over overplayed his hand because, because Purdue and Raffensperger were his top targets. Herschel's win was a foregone conclusion. And everybody knew it. Herschel didn't need Trump's endorsement to win. Right. He would have run away right. with that anyway. 
Um, no pun intended. No pun intended. Um, but, but the Kemp and Raffensperger wins are huge black eyes for Trump. And there's really no way to spin it. Well, and not just, I mean, the, the John Gordon versus Chris Carr result, you know, <laughs> yeah, was, right. I forgot about was that. also just massive, right? We're talking 50 points. The, the thing that really stands out to me is how Trump selected his candidates. Cause he didn't select quality people to challenge these incumbents or even other candidates who are running. He, he selected sort of the cast offs, the, the, or the, the people who weren't qualified. And so it calls into question that, you know, if he's going to get involved in Georgia politics at this level, what qualifications or standards or key metrics is he using to decide how to endorse a candidate? And it, it appeared, I think, to many Republican voters, if not the majority, that the only thing that, that Trump was concerned about was payback and revenge. Yeah. And that wasn't that wasn't good enough to throw out incumbents who've been doing their job and doing it the right way. No, you're right. I mean, and uh, it's it, there, there have been other questions of Trump getting bad advice, bad candidate uh, or bad political advice when when endorsing candidates. Um, and you have to start like one of the things you have to start wondering, I think, at this point, particular like does Trump's endorsement matter as much as people think it does? Uh, and, and I would say probably not, but probably not as much as, as the media wants you to think it does that, you know, um, obviously it helped. I mean, it didn't, did, did, I can't remember, did Trump endorse Burt Jones? He did. Okay. So Burt Jones so, and Burt Jones is barely clinging on to the 50 plus 50 plus, uh, one threshold right now, looking at the well, secretary yeah. of state's website, he's, he's, he's at 50 Literally, almost literally 50 and a vote um, is where he's at. Um, <laughs> he's at 50.08. That's correct. Right. Uh, <laughs> so there, there is that. So, uh, you know, so he, he's, he's going to win Herschel wins, but like the, the rest of the candidates he endorsed just got, just got blown away. And it, it, he did, he had his a couple in runoffs. He has Jake Evans in a runoff and CD six. Uh, against Rich McCormick, who doubled the number of votes roughly that Jake Evans had in, mm -hmm. uh, in the first round. So he got over 40%, I think. And then Jake was in the low 20s. So he has he has that. He could still potentially pull out a win. Uh, and Vernon Jones made a runoff in the CD10, uh, but was in a distant second place. Uh, it, look, I think the Trump endorsement is worth something. But you cannot go out there like John Gordon's campaign for attorney general was that Trump endorsed John Gordon. Patrick Witt's campaign for insurance commissioner against John King was the I am the Trump endorsed Patrick Witt for insurance commissioner. They had nothing else. Yeah, there was there was nothing else for them to say other than they were Trump endorsed for these races. That Why would a president of the United States care who the insurance commissioner is in the state of Georgia? Right. And it's worth something because they got 20 something percent of the vote. And that's about what we thought the Trump endorsement was worth. But there was nothing else on top of that. Right. Nothing. Right. And, and, the, and, and so go ahead. I was going to say one thing I think that 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 Trump and his, his political advisors, not knowing the landscape in Georgia, not knowing that when you have an incumbent Republican governor 
the state, not the state party apparatus, but voters tend to always gravitate behind that candidate. Because right. I, I remember when Purdue was governor, Sonny, not, obviously not uh, David, <laughs> um, who will once again not be governor of the state of Georgia. Um, when Sonny was governor, everything lined up behind him. You know, because you know, back in the day, Tom Murphy days, the speaker was the most powerful politician in the state. Obviously, when when Sonny became governor, that that dynamic changed. Uh, and the same was true of Deal. Deal was the center of all political power in Georgia. And Brian Kemp is the center of all political power in Georgia uh, or most political power in Georgia. Uh, and that is something the Trump apparatus, political apparatus really didn't take into account. Georgia is a very different state. It's the, the Republican Party is not as it's party activists. And I think your post today was spot on or who uh, the, uh, I think it was your post or somebody else's. Post. It was mine. Yeah. yeah uh, the, it was it, the party, the, the post today was absolutely spot on. There's a difference between party activists and primary voters. Uh, there is a huge void between the two. Uh, and just because party activists feel one way, if we had, if Georgia had a convention style process, maybe it would have been com- competitive, but Georgia does not have that. Right. And, and the party activists deep desperately want that now, right? Because there yeah. was crossover for Democrats. You know, at one point it was at 16,000. Uh, I, I spoke with uh, Stephen Fowler at the Pence event, and he told me he thinks it could get up to 80,000 people who, who had previously voted Democrat who pulled a, a Republican ballot. Obviously, Kemp won by more than 80,000 votes. <laughs> So it didn't make the difference for him. But it just padded his numbers. His internal, the Kemp internal polling was around 65%. They felt conf- confident they were going to break 60. Um, and they had some polls that showed them at 65. You know, that the, the crossover vote may have ended up helping to establish the blowout status for this particular race at 74. Uh, but all that to say that the difference between those two campaigns was just night and day as well. The money was behind Kemp, um, but the party itself, you know, David Schaefer did everything he possibly could to meddle, to interfere, to try to throw mud and, and obscure the success. He did not say a single word about this legislative session. Nothing from Mm -hmm. the party yet has been mentioned about how successful the conservative agenda was during the legislative session. Uh, it was obvious that that David Schaefer was on board with what Kemp was telling, or not Kemp, but, but Trump was telling him to do from Mar-a-Lago and pump up David Perdue. And right. he did his level best that whole time. And so if, you, if you're not reading the Peach Pundit blog, I did write about the differences. Brant Frost, the second chairman or vice chairman of the state party, had used, without permission, by the way, I'm told, the email list of all the delegates from the state convention and their alternates from last year's state convention. And he emailed a poll saying, Hey, tell us how you feel about these people. Who would you vote for if the election was today? And I do some analysis on the differences between the results of that poll and what actually happened at the ballot box. And you should read it, uh, draw your own conclusions, but the data is there. If Brant hadn't clandestinely used the email list uh, without permission, we wouldn't have the data to show just how far the fissure has grown between the electorate and the activists. And the activists should probably take stock in just what it means to have a sitting governor, which you opposed, 
by the poll numbers that Brant Frost put out, win with 74% of the vote. Like, what does that mean? What are the soul searching questions you're asking yourself today? If you're one of the activists in the Republican party, if you're in the party leadership structure, what are you asking yourself today? What is it? Where do you go from here? What are you going to do to make sure there's party unity heading into November? Because the Democrats are coming and they're going to spend tens of millions of dollars trying to unseat this guy. And we need you on board just as much as the guy, people who showed up on Tuesday. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at the, just the numbers here and it's just absolutely uh, how the party, the disconnect between the party could not be David Perdue, 50.6%, Brian Kemp, 31.6%. Like how, how, and I'm telling you the Republican party, this, I think this is true of every Republican party in not just in Georgia, but across the country. Um, I'm not saying you have to be Democrat white. I'm not saying that, but stop with the conspiracy theory bullshit. Stop because you're, you're driving away. You're, you're driving away independence. Every time you, you yeah. talk about stolen elections or, or, you know, embrace crazy, uh, you know, people like, you know, she, who must not be named who also won and not unsurprisingly. Um, but you're, you're driving away you're driving away voters who you might be able to get because of the, the fact that you're embracing radical candidates. You were going to say something. Well, I'm going to piggyback off of what you're saying. And, and, and that the people who, who came out and voted on Tuesday voted for a governor who passed a heartbeat bill, who passed a tax cut, who passed a tax refund, who, voted to or push legislation to make sure teachers got a $5,000 total pay raise in his first term who put money into police force and created a task force who navigated the pandemic deftly and expertly. And we were the envy of the nation other than maybe Florida and how we handled the pandemic. And, and they came out and voted for this guy because of these policies. But libertarians you are, are just as, you know, the one of the reasons why I ended up decades ago or decade and a half ago or however long ago it was leaving the Libertarian Party is, oh, you're not pure enough. You're not pure enough. You're not libertarian enough. And because I'm not completely, totally libertarian. I'm more conservative than I am libertarian, but I saw some things in the Libertarian Party back then that I, I that attracted to me. It were attractive to me. So when I gave it a shot, it was like I wasn't I, I was chased out. And this is what the our party is doing now yeah. to the average Republican voter. They're chasing them out, saying, we don't want you here because you're not actually Republican enough. And we have a phrase for that. It's called rhino Republican in name only. And in, in libertarian circles, you, you would be known as a state statist, which Scott. Is. Right. Scott is a statist. Well, according to my libertarian friend, Jason, yes, but I, a constitutional <laughs> conservative apparently is a statist. And, and, just, and that's what I'm talking about. That type, I'm that, just teasing. That's the reason why I got. I'm just teasing. And, and, you know, and thank God I got pushed out of the libertarian party, frankly, because I didn't belong there. Right. <laughs> I think the natural home for for liberty loving people is the Republican Party. And, and the, the libertarian voter should seriously give the the record, the agenda, a good look heading into November. Because I think the average libertarian is is living a better life under these types of policies than it would be under Stacey Abrams. I, you know, I, here, so here's the thing I, I think 
going back and looking at four years of Donald Trump, um, because I I know I spent a lot of my time on this podcast, uh, you know, effectively trashing Donald Trump. Um, I'm not going to I'm not going to sit here and say there weren't some good things to happen in his administration. I worked on several pieces of legislation that became law, you know, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. I worked on that became law. And I I still to this day defend that law against the unfair attacks. Um, the first step act, obviously, you know, that's, that's actually one I have a copy of and proudly display in my office up in Washington, DC. Um, just the same and dereg, you know, deregulation. There was a lot of good deregulatory stuff that came in the administration. There were some couple bad things too. They, at least they didn't get those through, but there were a couple bad things too. That said, it, it's, it's at what point, because the, the the issue I have with with Trump more than anything else is his his embrace of what I see as authoritarianism. Um, you know, he he loved the strong man. He loved Putin. He loved Kim. Uh, he loved Erdogan. Um, uh, you know that embrace of the strong man, which we saw in his own rhetoric here in the United States. And ultimately culminating in January 6th. And some of the things I've read just this week where he was apparently pleased that a crowd was saying, you know, was pleased that they were saying, hang Mike Pence. And he was apparently upset or disappointed when Pence got whisked away to a secure location. Um, That kind of stuff, that kind of stuff is, is, you know, that departure, because that stuff shouldn't happen here in the United States. But it did. And hmm. apparently it could happen again if he runs and it's successful in 2024. You know, unfortunately, I haven't seen a candidate who who I like enough who might run against him because uh, I see some candidates who are, who are talking about running who in some some ways are arguably worse. I'm not a huge I'm not completely thrilled with DeSantis right now. DeSantis is a much more um, he's exhibited some authoritarian tendencies and he's much more politically savvy than Donald Trump ever was. Tom Cotton is does I'm not sure believes in the Bill of Rights other than the Second Amendment. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, so you know, well, I, you know, I, here I would, in Georgia, I would, I would potentially vote for Asa Hutchison, you know, but that's about it. <laughs> well, uh, I would I would vote for DeSantis. Uh, I would vote for Ben Sass. I, I know that wouldn't make me popular in the Trump circles, but it, I. I don't know who's going to run at this point. If DeSantis runs, uh, I'll look at the field. If it's Trump or DeSantis, I'm going to go with DeSantis. Uh, you know, I have to make the decision with who I have available to me. Uh, I voted for Trump on three separate occasions, uh, including the last time he was on the ballot. Uh, the last three times he was on the on a ballot that I got to vote for, I voted for him. I don't think Trump's emphasis or influence in Georgia is nil. It's definitely, there's still a, a, a Trump factor at play here. And I don't think it's wise for us to look at the results of Brian Kemp, because I think, I think this election was an anomaly for a lot of different reasons. Uh, I don't think that Trump's dead in Georgia by any stretch of the imagination. I think the, I think the wise thing to do would be continue to praise the policies that did work. His Supreme Court nominees, as an example, praise the things that were good and focus on the future. And that's what Brian Kemp did in this in this election. And I think that's how he was able to get a lot of Trump supporters to vote for him. He never bashed on Trump. 
he focused on where he and Trump were aligned. And when they were not aligned, he didn't mention him by name. He just simply said, I opened my state when I had I was pressured to keep it closed. And the, the person keep pressuring him was Donald Trump. But he didn't mention him. He didn't attack him directly. He never did that. I think that's the blueprint, right, is to say, here's my record. This is, I support the president's policies on X, Y, Z, but I'm going to do ABC moving this state forward. Yeah. And I think that's the formula for Republicans who don't necessarily who, – who are opposed by Trump. Yeah. Right? And then that's because our whole slate did that, that one. They, also, they, they never bashed on Trump. They simply said – I agree with the president's policies, but here are my things yeah. that I want to work on. Well, and it was appealing to the voter. Before we before we move on, um, well, actually, I need we need to move on. Uh, and but before we move on to some of the more um, uh, the congressional races, things like that, and the Democratic side, I do want to pay, pay special attention to the Secretary of State's race uh, because I did not expect Brad Raffensperger to win outright. Um, Me neither. I, I, I owe Stephen Fowler a beverage. I, he does, I said I bet him a cup of coffee, and he told me he didn't. He didn't drink coffee, uh, so I said whatever beverage you want, we'll we'll bet that this is a runoff. And he was right, and I was wrong. Yeah, uh, I was. Oh my gosh, I was. Uh, I remember sitting there watching the results come in. It, I, I mean, Raffensperger never trailed Jody Heiss, and from what I can remember, and at eight percent, he was at like fifty. He was just over fifty percent, and I was like. I mean, Secretary Raffensperger, don't don't take this the wrong way. But I looked at the the um, looked at the results and I said, "Man, that son of a bitch might do might do it." <laughs> yeah, I'm like Doctor. I'm like Ian Malcolm in Jurassic Park. Son of a bitch did it. The crazy son of a bitch did it. And if there was somebody who benefited from the Democrat crossover in the open primary, one, oh, it, it was definitely Brad Raffensperger. <laughs> One hundred percent. It was definitely Brad Raffensperger because, yeah, I think it went at fifty-two percent or something. Yeah, uh, it was just over fifty-two. Uh, over fifty-two point three. Yeah, and yeah. and high high set at but uh, at thirty-three percent. But but here's the th- but you know but here's the thing. I mean, you know he beat he beat Jody by you know more than two hundred thousand votes. Granted that if if it, the number is as high as eighty thousand of Democratic crossover. That's probably enough to propel the Raffensperger uh, into uh, into um, winning without a runoff. Winning without a runoff, but but yeah. the question is, we, did all of them vote for Raffensperger? Anyway, well, the the sample size was really small. Patricia Murphy at the AGC did contact some of them and put them on the record and asked them why they were doing it. And obviously, she's not able to pull all however tens of thousands there were, but to a person, they all told her, or at least the ones that she reported about, they all told her the reason why they were doing it was to, to stomp on Trump some. And I mean, if that's the case, Raffensperger definitely, definitely benefited from that open primary type of thing, mm-hmm. which I think, it, honestly, it puts the Democrats in a really bad position heading into November. B. win and uh, was it, um, was it D. Dawkins Hagler or who was those? the second place finisher. Yeah, it was uh, it was D. Dawkins Hagler. So D. Dawkins Hagler, African-American who served in the legislature with me uh, for a long time, uh, formerly the chairwoman of the um, African-American caucus in the House, uh, well-respected. She's in the race, right? Mm-hmm. 
B. Wynn had publicly tweeted, you know, she was dismayed at the at the crossover vote because she was going to need those people in the event of a runoff. She comes in with uh, what forty percent of the race? Uh, let me see, forty four. She came in forty four. 44.1 to DDoc and Tagler's 18.7. So she's in a runoff. She's going to have to spend money uh, heading into November. Mm-hmm. Resources, time, effort, energy, uh, burning out her volunteer base. And they're going to have to get her nominated here in the, in the runoff election. And the people who crossed over are not allowed to vote Democratic now. They're Republicans for this cycle. So they don't get to go back and say they're going to pull a Democratic ballot. To go vote for B. Win. If B. Win is the nominee, her whole campaign is that Republicans want to steal the election from you. Mm-hmm. Well, who's the guy who stood up and said, I'm not going to allow this election to be stolen right. and, and faced immense pressure to the point where his political career was on the line? Yep. That's Brad Raffensperger. That neuters that argument for B. Win. So I, I think I think Brad gets reelected easily. Yeah. Because <laughs> Because B doesn't have an argument to make. That's right. And here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I mean, B, B can still rant again at SB 202, which I'm sure she will. But Really? We want to talk about that for a sec? No, no, no. no. I mean, we've talked about that enough. I mean, considering primary vote was like all-time records. Um, yeah. But I'm, 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 I'm saying that's probably where they'll go. But, but, what I'm, but, but you, one thing I want to say about Raffensperger, because we've ripped on him quite a lot. So much so that we, I think, early on we thought that Heist would beat Raffensperger. Uh, the, I will say this much: um, there are things Raffensperger did um, during his very public feud with Donald Trump that I disagree with, that I thought were mistakes. Um, that said, um, I will give him this: he deserves a Profile and Courage Award for standing up to Donald Trump. Even if I don't disagree with everything he did, and I don't, I, and I'll, I'll say this once again: I don't like everyone in his office. And my my, my public uh, back and forth with his deputy secretary of state may not be well known to everyone on this podcast, but certainly known to some of the people who listen to it. Um, but uh, he 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 did the right thing, even if, and he put his career on the line, as you said, to do the right thing, and I think that deserves. Uh, very, very much public recognition, not just a primary win, which he, he has done, uh, but it deserves more public recognition than what he's gotten. Uh, and same goes for Brian Kemp. Yeah. Well, I, I don't – with SB202, if B decides to go down that road, the the if the results will, will not back up her claims, right? So Braffensberger has an easy made path. A record number of people voted. Lines were short. People took advantage of early voting. There wasn't, unless you're Candace Taylor, a, a, an accusation of fraud during this election. You know, David Perdue conceded cleanly. The people who are running, going to runoffs, have have gotten there cleanly. You know, the there, there's no sense that this election was yeah. tampered with or yeah. rigged or there's no headlines that point to ballot harvesting, and so you have all of that to say that if B. Win wants to bash on. Raffensperger for not for being a Republican because the Republicans want to steal elections. Well, he he kind of stood up against yeah. some really huge influential power and pressure. So that's not going to work. And right. if you're going to attack SB202, the results proved out that that's not going to work. There was no voter suppression in SB202. It was a lie. Right. It was a flat lie. 
And so if she wants to get out there and I, please go try if you want to, the facts aren't on your side on that. They're just not. Right. Uh, moving along to some other things, uh, Georgia 10, one of the more interesting races, uh, and we'll also talk about Georgia six real fast because I think Georgia six runoff is going to be really interesting. Uh, Georgia 10 runoff Vernon Jones versus Mike Collins. Uh, I mean, Vernon, Vernon did a lot better, I think, than, than a lot of us thought he would do, uh, finishing second, only, uh, roughly four points behind, uh, Mike Collins, um, Timothy Barr, Paul Brown, uh, the third and fourth place finishers, respectively, uh, David Curry finishing fifth, but Mike Collins, Vernon Jones going to a runoff next month. I honestly don't know what to expect. I, well, I would hope that the actual Republicans that didn't make the runoff in that race would get behind Mike Collins because Mike Collins is an actual Republican. That's what I would hope would happen. Vernon Jones is not a Republican. I sat next to the dude for five years in the legislature. He's not a Republican. He doesn't believe like a Republican. He doesn't behave like a Republican. He doesn't treat other human beings with respect. The staff members, I've seen it with my own eyes, man. I, I've seen it with my own eyes. How he treats people, how he talks to people. Uh, when he is challenged, he gets combative very easily. And i that's what I would hope would happen. And if that happens, I think Mike Collins is going to Congress. If there's still some infighting and wounds and whatever else, then I think Vernon still has a shot. But in the category of Georgia politics is just so incredibly entertaining. Mike Collins has bought a batch of rape whistles with the real com URL printed on them. And he tweeted out, looks like I'm going to have to buy a new batch of rape whistles as a campaign, I guess, piece of uh, a novelty, I guess. <laughs> That's going to get so, real ugly. <laughs> I think it already has gotten real ugly. Uh, and if you're not familiar with the allegations against uh, Vernon Jones, uh, Bluestein, if you can go find Bluestein's Twitter, he re-ran an article that he wrote about the sleepover, the infamous sleepover. He, as he just won re-election as DeKalb County CEO, he invited two women over to watch Finding Nemo. That's part of the article. And <laughs> they ended up having a menage a trois that he said was, was consensual, but one woman claims was rape. <laughs> and she never actually pressed charges. So the allegations are out there. They've never gone away. They've always been there. And so uh, I've never seen a campaign distribute race rape whistles before. Uh, that's a new one on me. But boy, is this Georgia <laughs> politics or what? No, it's, it's going to be that one's going to be really, really interesting. Because when I lived in Georgia, um, I lived about two miles from that district um, and always paid a lot of attention to it. Uh, just because it was, you know, it was always very, very interesting. Uh, but this race, this runoff, um, I'll say this much, uh, driving down 20 coming into the state yesterday, um, between Augusta and Covington, I saw three Vernon Jones, um, billboards. Now two of them said Vernon Jones for governor, <laughs> 
they at the top they said Kemp lied and then said Jones for Vernon Jones for governor. Only one was for his congressional bid. But you know, be, uh, hanging out here in Covington, I've noticed quite a few Vernon Jones signs, um, uh, just in Newton County alone. So uh, you know, maybe, maybe he wins. I don't know, but if he wins, uh, I hope Republicans in in the, the in Congress know what they're getting. Uh. Though they're getting yet another uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene like congressman from Georgia. That's what they're getting. Only not as conservative. I, I wonder if they, but I wonder if they realize that. I mean, because I, I wonder if they realize his record. Because I, I pulled up the House Freedom Funds website, which is the pack affiliated with the House Freedom Caucus. They have not. They haven't endorsed in that race. Uh, and I wonder if they've ever looked at his his. Uh, his past, his state legislative votes, seeing how pro-choice he was, see well, how anti-gun he was. One of the things that's been perplexing to me is how the Republican establishment slash machine from D.C. came down so hard on Madison Cawthorn. But Marjorie Taylor Greene escapes that type of scrutiny. Why is that, Jason? Uh, I, you know, I've, I've wondered that myself um, because – because with with Madison Cawthorn, I mean, it, look, it was not just any one thing, but the thing that seemed to have really blown up was his accusation of, you know, seeing someone do a key bump of cocaine and the, being invited to a, an orgy, which these two things were almost certainly not true. Um, almost certainly? I, I would venture to say they weren't true at all, but... <laughs> um, I mean, look, uh, you know, I've encountered a few people in the DC, in DC, not who work in Congress, but people who work in DC, who work on the conservative side, I've encountered them and known that they had, uh, had used or still use cocaine, but the orgies that's new. I had never heard that before. <laughs> so, um, but the, I mean, the, the way I know that they're not real is I wasn't invited. I mean, that's <laughs> how I know. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, you know, and, <laughs> My, 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 my guess, my guess is like when you're talking about, it's one thing to, to do something incendiary and, and then to make accusations against your, some of your colleagues, that's apparently how you draw the line. But, but I, and I don't, I don't understand it because I would say an allegation like that, I actually wrote this in my newsletter that apparently you can attend members of the House Republican Conference because there were two members of the House Republican Conference who attended this, um, you know, American, I think it was America First Political Action Conference, uh, who, who it was Paul Gosar, Marjorie Taylor Greene. They attended this and spoke with a guy on stage whose name escapes me, uh, Nick Fuentes, that's his name, uh -huh. uh, who, who is, who, said nice things about Hitler from the uh, stage uh, who said really nice things about Putin flaming racist flaming racist um and Marjorie Taylor Greene was standing right there when all this stuff was happening and uh but she she gets no admonition I mean she gets admonition but the the most that has happened to her is she's been called to the principal's office meaning uh house minority leader Kevin McCarthy she has not been, and that has worked stellar. I mean, that's yeah. been so effective. And he has said no one ever. Yeah, and you know, after she got booted off her committee assignments, after Gosar got booted off his committee assignments, they were promised better committee assignments if Republican takes Republicans take the House. I mean, and you know, she was she was on Ed, Ed and Labor and Budget. 
there are not really that. I mean, you're going to put her on an A committee. You're going to throw her on ways and means or energy and commerce. If you do no that, way. are you crazy? I no mean, way. you know, I mean, those are A committees, financial services. Um, right. You know, I mean, it, those three committees, if you're on that committee, that is your only committee assignment. You can't do anything else. Right. Um, so I, I can't imagine. I cannot imagine they're going to put her on one of those. And they would be crazy if they did. But if you have a majority, typically speaking, if you, you, and when you're in the minority, you want your conservative members to be out in front because they're your bulldogs. They're the ones who are going to, who are going to want to investigate, who are going to throw bombs in committee hearings, uh, who are going to be in front, you know, on Fox News. You want them to, to rile up your base. But when you're in the majority, your conservative members are the last people you want speaking. So I'm wondering how they're going to tame not just her, but others. And I'm wondering how long this honeymoon is going to last between conservatives and uh, congressional and House Republican leadership, because I don't think it's going to be long. It's going to be really interesting. The next several months are going to be very interesting, especially going into next year. I, I think for a I think in order for her to go, the folks up there are going to have to engage in the Cawthorn strategy with her. And yeah. it doesn't look like they're willing to, and she's going to be there for as long as she wants, unless they do. And I, you know, and and there's nothing in her behavior to indicate that she's going to change, and she's going to continue to be an embarrassment. You know, that's the bottom line. And and, you know, and to a, a large degree, here in Georgia, we have a little bit of "don't come in here and tell me what to do" type of attitude. And so, the, it, whether or not it would even work would be something. But it wasn't really until Tom Tillis got pissed off with Cawthorn that that was enough, right? So we would need some sort of Republican leader in a high echelon, a Brian Kemp, uh, to come and say that you're an embarrassment to our state. You're hurting things. Stop. And yeah. in, in order for that to happen. And I don't think it's going to. No. I, and I think Brian Kemp's worried about governing the state more than he is about what happens in DC. No, I agree with you. And, and, and that's the thing, you know, based on everything I've heard about her, Cawthorn got taken out in part because you're right. Tillis, uh, his own personal, uh, issues, which extended beyond, um, you know, his, his accusations against, uh, some of his colleagues. Um, and he also had really bad constituent services. Now he and green have that in common. She has really bad constituent services as far as I've heard, um, and have written about. But the, um, but you know, that's, those things are becoming less and less important as long as you're saying the right things in DC, as long as you're owning the libs, which seems to be largely the Republican party platform these days, at least amongst the activists, um, it, you know, that kind of stuff is, is going a long way. And that's, that's how someone like her wins reelection. Plus she raised a, she raised a ton of money. She, she had several million dollars, you know, from the outset to protect herself and, you know, Jennifer Strahan is, as you know, better of a candidate as she was and, uh, you know, a moderating influence. Now, I'm not calling her a moderate, just more more moderating than Marjorie Taylor Greene would have been. Couldn't take her out, you know, and and Georgia for Georgia's 14th congressional district will still have no representation that that 700 and 800,000 people in that district will have no representation. None of her bills will ever pass. Um, she she is not a serious lawmaker. And, you know, you get what you pay for. Goodness. So, yeah, it's uh, 
it's it's it sucks to live in that district. Um, so moving along, got got a couple things related to to Stacey Abrams here. So I actually caught this one. Stacey Abrams says Georgia is the worst state to live in the nation. Um, I, I, Do you think that? I I, I, I mean I miss Georgia. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, Virginia is nice, but. You know, but Georgia's not the worst place to live. God, one thing I was I was driving around noticing here today is how much cheaper gas is here than up there. Uh, it's, it's here in a couple of weeks, it's going to the gas tax is going to be reinstalled on top of that, so it'll jump forty cents a gallon. Okay, well, it's about forty cents cheaper here than it is in Virginia right now because so. we're not taxing it right yeah. now. Right? Yeah, uh, but. But no, go fill up. If you're listening to this on the week of uh, the of May 26, you got a few more days to buy your gas tax free. Go fill up. <laughs> no, but it's it, you know her saying her saying that Georgia is the the worst place to live. Uh, what that caught me off guard, and it's kind of interesting uh, for her to make a comment like that when you're literally trying to become governor. And please yeah. run on that. Please run on that. Please run on that. Please, please, please run on that. Please run on that. Listen to me. Uh, I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt, right? I'm going to play devil's advocate just a second, and then I'm going to slay her. I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second. For just a second, right? Because uh, here's the whole context of what she said. She said, I'm tired of hearing that Georgia's the number one place to do right, business right. when this is the worst state to live because our infant mortality rate is so high. Our incarceration rate is so high. Or, you know, we, d- we have a record number of uninsured people. Like they don't have a direct choice on whether or not they're uninsured because they're all employed at this point. But they, you know, she, she listed a whole bunch of things that she wants to tackle as governor. But the way that she said it was, this makes us the worst place to live. And it doesn't. Right. It absolutely doesn't. Right. If you want to be uninsured in Georgia, you have access to jobs because we're the number one place to do business. So you can pay for your health insurance. The government doesn't need to do that for you. You don't need to pass on the cost of your health insurance to future generations, which is what expanding Medicaid would do in Georgia. We would have to rely on federal dollars that do not exist, that are borrowed or printed, which causes inflation or also drives up the debt Mm -hmm. that future generations would have to pay. But our program here says we're going to make sure that you are in an environment where you can get a job and you could pay for your own health insurance. If you want it, and if you don't, the state, it's not going to penalize you. The federal government will penalize you. They'll mm-hmm. tax you if you don't have it, but we're not going to. That's And this is this is the best place in the country right now to raise a family to because you can get a job mm-hmm. because we're not closed or shut down like she wanted us to be. Our schools remained open when other places were shutting down their schools during the pandemic. Our houses of worship stayed open. This made us all a magnet for people around the country. The number one place Californians are leaving to go move to is where? You're Uh, sitting in it right now. Georgia. They're coming here. Why are they coming here? Because it's better than California. People are coming here in record numbers because it's the best place to live. I cannot believe she would say this is the worst place to live. And she wants to be governor here. Listen, you're not running for president of Earth. You're running for governor of Uni- Georgia. Unified Earth, unified Earth. Mm. But I mean, but th- that's the thing. You look at you look at mm-hmm. a state like you look at states like California, New York, and Illinois. They I mean they 
they lost congressional seats in the mo- in the most recent census precisely because people are are seeking the exits from those states. Right. Why would you want to make and they have been and they have for been. a long time. So why would you want to make Georgia more like those states? Uh, you know, a high tax state, state with high cost of living. Yeah. Look, no, the infant mortality rates in in those states is is much lower than Georgia. Much lower. Georgia has the if you count Virginia, Georgia has the third lowest infant mortality rate in the Southeast. You know, uh, only Florida and Virginia are ahead of of Georgia. So it's not, that's not that bad. And yeah, I mean, you know, you can have a debate on Medicaid expansion and whether Medicaid expansion would help lower that rate, but we're ahead of most of our regional partners. So, you know, why make that? And we love our fried food, Bo. And we love our fried food. <laughs> Give me some of that fried chicken. <laughs> yeah, yes, sir. Uh, one of the, it's one, not exactly healthy. Yeah, you know where I'm going for but lunch? It sure to, is tasty. Know, I'm not going for fried food, but you know where I'm going for lunch tomorrow? The Vortex. <laughs> so, <laughs> you get that burger on. Yeah, yeah I got you. I'm getting my blue get shroom. Get them tater tots, Get buddy. my blue yeah. shroom and my, my, my tater tots. But uh, And, and I, I, I've already mentioned that I bought literally every kind of beer I really like that I can't get. Uh, in, in Virginia, but no, I mean, right. if you, if you, if you don't like Georgia, why are you running to lead it? Why, if you're calling it the worst state, why are you running to lead it? Uh, granted now it's just not true, Jason. It's not, it's absolutely not true. And and now you shouldn't go the route of David Perdue who, who made a very racist comment in response to that. Uh, not to, not to beat up on the aforementioned former Senator from the great state of Georgia. Uh, but he basically said, well, go back where you came from, which is not the, probably not the best thing to say to uh, a a woman of color, uh, who, who is going to be competitive in the governor's race. Well, I, I, I don't know if it was based, he, he made some other racial comments that, um, were incendiary during the closing days of the primary campaign. I don't know if telling somebody to go back where you came from is based on race or not, though. Uh, if I separated those in my mind, that's a traditional Georgian response when anybody comes in here to try to tell us what to do, right? Yeah. That's how I'm reacting to Newt Gingrich these days is is go back to Virginia. I don't need Newt Gingrich to tell me what the landscape of Georgia politi- politics is because I'm in it. He's not. Are you telling, away. Are you telling me to go back to Virginia? No, I'm telling you you shouldn't be in Virginia. <laughs> That's just my personal opinion. Oh. I mean, you do what you want with your life. I'm not telling you what to do, Mr. Libertarian. Uh, but. Yeah, please, please don't tell me what to do. That's like, uh, I'm like Jessica, <laughs> Jessica Solaji, uh, as far as that goes. Uh, please, please, sir, don't tell me what to do. Uh, and finally, uh, Stacey Abrams, campaign manager, uh, gives the double bird on social media. I always felt like the Abrams campaign was trying to tell us to F off. And now I know for sure that's what they're telling us to do. I... Your 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 initial foray into TikTok includes a moment where your campaign manager is giving the double bird. Hmm. What exactly are you? And this is the worst state in the world to live in. What are you trying to tell me? Hmm. <laughs> no, I mean it. Uh, this 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 campaign this campaign is going to be uh, brutal brutal especially when you add in the uh the senate race it's going to be a brutal one and georgians are going to be so tired of it by the time it's all over i already am tired of it no nah, you I mean, like this stuff i do but i mean gosh man you, uh, the 
the media is just never going to give Kemp the benefit of the doubt, even though he got this huge win. There were way more Republican ballots pulled than Democrats. The SB202 turned out to not be a voter suppression tool, but actually helped generate higher turnout than ever. Our state continues to have huge wins. Hyundai's building a electric car battery plant now in Georgia. We've got Rivian coming. We've got you know jobs and jobs and jobs and for miles and as far as the eye can see. And the Democrats are going to hoist her up because it's Stacey Abrams and the the crown princess of Georgia politics. And they're, they're going to give her the benefit of the doubt on everything she says. They're going to say that Republicans take everything she says out of context, which is why I added additional context around the, this is the worst state to live. It, it doesn't matter. Well, you know, she, she, her, her overarching ideology politically is out of step with the average voter and the average citizen of Georgia. You know, she represents certain segment of population here and she's going to be their voice and that's fine. But the, the campaign between now and November is, is going to be skewed in the media to the point where it's going to be, the truth is going to be unrecognizable to many. And that's, what's most unfortunate. That's my prediction for the next six months. Yep. Well, before we go, I do want to tease uh, a special podcast that we have with Congressman Barry Lowermilk. Uh, for those of you who saw this uh, last week, I wrote about um, uh, an accusation that was, well, I mean, not so subtle accusation that was uh, leveled against um, Congressman Laddermilk. He was accused of uh, essentially giving a reconnaissance tour around the Capitol um, and the January 6th committee, who I've been fairly uh, uh, supportive of. Generally, I guess more generally than anything else, had uh, sought him to uh, give voluntary testimony or voluntary cooperation uh, to the committee so they could speak to him about this tour. And I'm sorry, there's a clock in the background uh, at my friend Aaron Brooks' house. Um, so um, they wanted his voluntary cooperation to speak to the committee. Uh, and uh, this was a constituent family who came in to uh, who came in um, he, with children with children. Uh, he. And, and you'll notice the use of the term uh, in the January 6th letter, the Capitol complex. Uh, this the, the, the term is used in a very interesting way uh, because the Capitol complex is, and I mentioned this in the blog post, is quite sprawling. It's, it's, it's actually very large. It's not just the Capitol building. This includes the Russell, Dirksen, and Hart Senate office buildings. It includes... Um, uh, the the, the um, uh, national, I think, arboretum. Uh, I can't remember exactly what it's called. The botanical gardens or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. It includes the Cannon, Longworth, and uh, Rayburn house office buildings, as well as the O'Neill and Ford house house office buildings, which are uh, sort of adjacent to Rayburn uh, down on another street. Um, so, uh, and it also includes the Library of Congress uh, as well. Uh, cause there, and there are two or three library Congress buildings. Um, the main one being the Jefferson one. Um, but, uh, this is about, he apparently took some folks, these folks out to lunch. This is according to Congressman Loudermilk took folks out to lunch in a, in, inside one of the house office buildings. Most certainly, almost certainly that means Longworth cause they actually have a cap- cafeteria in Longworth and it's, it's, you know, and would we would be open to the public. The Capitol's been closed to the public since the beginning of the pandemic. Right. Um, and he goes into all of that 
we, right. we it's about a 20, 25 minute podcast. Uh, it was he and I, we, we sat and talked about it. We went through all the details and uh, he pushes back pretty strongly and explains his side of the story, which the media is not giving him the say, you know, Rachel Maddow's all out there uh, claiming he's an insurrectionist because of this letter. Yeah. And that's the point is that the accusation is the only thing that matters. The facts don't yeah. when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. So, um, and he, he and, um, uh, he and the ranking member of the house administration committee, uh, are asking for the Capitol police to, uh, release the tapes that will co- probably vindicate him and just show that it was a family. Um, anyway, anyway, we'll have this up. We're probably going to have it up separately. Uh, so, uh, it will be separate. It, yeah. So then it's about what? 20, 30 minute long podcast, something like yeah, that. Yeah. It's 20, 25 minutes and it's, it's audio it, only. Uh, yeah. but we'll be putting that out, uh, shortly, but, uh, thanks folks for listening. Scott, do you want to list our Patreons real fast? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you too can be a Patreon subscriber if you go to patreon.com slash peach pundit. And we'd appreciate it if you did this, uh, improved sound quality you've been enjoying over the last couple of weeks. That's because we're paying out of pocket for software that makes us sound better that we can level our audio and get it all organized and make it sound good so that you don't have to turn up the volume when Jason's talking and turn me down or vice versa. Patreon.com slash peach pundit. Right now, we have three subscribers who we just adore. And that, those three people are Sam Thomas, Benjamin Hurst, and Reed Powell. To the three of you, thank you so much for chipping in. Be like Sam, Benjamin, and Reed. Chip in a little. It's only five bucks. It'll go a long way to helping us keep this running for you. Or you can, and you can go, you can give more than five if you want to, but yeah, and we'll, we'll give you a t-shirt with Jason Pye's face on it <laughs> or buzzes or Scott's. And let's face it. Everybody wants, everybody wants Scott. Yeah. I'm picking, I'm picking the Jason Pye shirt. Myself. <laughs> that, that shirt's actually fairly popular just so you know. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it, I weird around here all the time. You get all kinds of comments like who the hell is that? <laughs> the, uh, the people I live with in, in DC, uh, they, uh, the, the shirt has become, uh, uh we, the husband wears it all the time. And, uh, it's, <laughs> he, he, he actually, no joke, wore it out in public. We went out to dinner together and he wore it. And I'm like, I'm at dinner with them. Uh, and just for, just for the, for the record, just so folks know, I'm contributing to the, the economy of the state of Georgia while I'm here. Uh, this was my, uh, shopping cart this morning at Publix. <laughs> so there's classic city lager made by creature comforts got some scoff law basement ipa there's another ipa in there that gets some nylon ponds um and uh creature comforts tropicalia and then obviously jude uh, from reformation so reformation um, brewery oh you've got text message i do have in. a text message coming in uh <laughs> but yeah <laughs> but that is uh thank you thank you to sam ben no really sam benjamin reed thank you three for for being subscribers. We really appreciate it. Yes, we do. Uh, also make sure to check us out on Spotify, Apple podcasts and YouTube. Uh, and we'll see you soon. Uh, I will be out next week, but Scott and buzz, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll, we'll keep the, the thing going. So peace out, have a good one and uh, go dogs. <laughs>